this. We're right in the middle of the comedy festival and uh, there's loads of really good stuff coming on and you've chosen to come and see poetry. So that's brilliant. Thank you so much. Um, so we have a brilliant night ahead for you. We have two fantastic headliners in the forms of Adol Hampton and Jasmine Gardozi. So round of applause for them. We also have um, our speed poet this month. Uh, he did not have to be forced into it. He volunteered to do it. Our speed poet this month is Stuart Reid. Round of applause for him. So, me and Toby do this every month. Uh, and we do a lot of work together. Um, but on Facebook, my Facebook like filters Toby out. So I never see anything that he does or achieves. I mean, Facebook also filters my own boyfriend out, but I think that's other reasons. Um, but uh, Toby is the new UK Slam champion. So I'm gonna pass over to Toby Campion. She just doesn't like me really. She doesn't care. Um, hello, welcome to February's Find the Right Words. So I'm going to kick us off with a poem to begin with. Um, as Jess said, I've been working on my uh, first collection, which is coming out later this year. And um, it's kind of about um, growing up, growing up in the Midlands, uh, masculinity, you know, the patriarchy, all of that stuff. Um, and uh, uh, and throughout, throughout the collection are kind of um, stories, little narratives from my uh, childhood and adolescence and growing up uh, uh, in the Midlands and just growing up in general uh, about different aspects of that. So um, this is one that I've not really read before so we'll see how it goes um, and it's called Grandpa Terry. <coughs> Grandpa Terry lets me stamp on his Stella cans before he throws them out. They crunch into metal mince pies under my light up trainers and I tell him to drink quicker so I can jump on more. My sister performs a dance routine for him in the kitchen. Say you'll be there by the Spice Girls. Classic. And his cheeks are streams of tinsel. The only boy of 10 grandchildren, I have perfected my surprised face when unwrapping Superman merchandise. My mum and dad give me the only present I asked for. Winter sports Barbie. She comes drenched in a skin-tight glitter bodysuit and her hair is a crimped blizzard. She looks how I imagine my dreams would look if I stuck their feet to a pink snowboard and asked them to lose weight. <laughs> I call her Angela. <laughs> True story. Uh, Grandpa Terry watches from the back door as Angela glides across the frozen lake of my nan's bird bath. She sings, say you'll be there as loudly as she can and skis through the air on her hands. Behind me, I feel Grandpa Terry's lips plie open and closed, like my older cousins do whenever I mention Santa. About to say something, thinking better of it. Avalanche stopping just short of the village. Grandpa Terry crushes something below his foot, turns his back, leaves me, an empty Stella can in the snow by the back door. Thank you. So it's time for our first feature act. 
of the show. Um, she's some Midlands talent, some homegrown talent. She won the Midlands Poetry Slam a while ago. She's done loads of great things. She's part of Bo Bellows Collective. Uh, she was shortlisted to become Birmingham's Poet Laureate. Um, and we're really happy to have her here. Please uh, give a massive round of applause and welcome to Jasmine Gardosi. <laughs> I, yeah, this one's inspired by a washing detergent. Do you know it? It's um, called lavender and chamomile bold two in one. <laughs> I'm not, it's not even funny. <laughs> it's true, it's really distinctive. Do you know, does anyone use it? Thank you, sir. I bet your shirt smells great. Um, so inspired by that, this one's called bold two in one. Have you ever had that moment when you're making a new acquaintance? And it's going well, and you're having fun, but their smell is driving you crazy. It's because they use the same detergent as someone you once knew greatly. But now, she's gone. So in this new acquaintance's face, you see two strangers. Two and one. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> I'm glad you laughed at that. It's the first time someone's laughed at that. <laughs> Great. Um, okay, so this next one needs a little bit of back. Uh, uh, background. Um, in some poetry uh, circles, uh, you might be aware that some people click when they like a line. Um, I don't know whether you've seen much of this. It's like, oh, I like this. Here's a line. I'm not asking, oh, how dare you not click. Um, I'm just saying, I'm just giving some background for the next poem. Um, also, there's a little bit, and I'll be clear because I'll start doing this movement. I'd like you to join in with me. Would you be able to do that, guys? Is that possible? Can you join in now? And let's just, just try it out. Try and follow me. You have to be really good in the rhythm here to do it. Try and follow. Okay, all right, that'll do. <laughs> Can you imagine a school with a female fight club? A secret lunchtime activity is so extracurricular you do not put it on your CV. 90% of fights end up on the ground. That's okay though. You can't hear the pound or shoulder blades slapping the floor because they're in the basement. So in the lands above, year sevens eat canteen hamburgers whilst down below the older girls share <laughs> knuckle sandwiches and how interestingly it gets twisted here. Because when you watch this, you do not cheer, you do not jeer, you do not clap, you click. See, spoken word nights, they can stay so hushed the upper floors go undisturbed by the gentle ripples of snapping one's fingers. Perfect, really. These girls have taken their inspiration. So every time a fist makes art with the partner's face, they click. 
And every time a kick makes sheer poetry with a girl's nose, they click. Fingertips flicking like taking snapshots of the bits they like. They are the judges of this physical slam. A scoring system where a girl will get top marks all over another's head with some hard-hitting alliteration of hand against cheek, slapping out her own applause and tough iambic beat, poetry in motion. And after playtime, these teens' faces are as multicolored as a jungle gym, so they fashion new features with makeup in time for registration. Layer it so fat they look faceless. It's a flawless foundation for being women, is it not? Learning to hide this violence with brushes. And those two girls in class who look unearthly perfect? <laughs> they probably fought the day before and today it's Dawn's turn to be pushed in the middle. Her opponent isn't claustrophobic like her, but they're on. You scratch my face, I scratch yours. She's hoping that soon she'll be saved by the bell. But the clicks begin a rhythm. You see, these girls have no say in the fight, but their fingers say quicker. And the clicks and the crowd barely make a sound. So what will she do when the fight goes down? 90% of fights end up on the ground. The fear of confinement starts to take her now. The pacing, it changes. They step up the range. She loses her footing. She's down on her back. She's already six feet under, but the fun doesn't stop. And why won't the teacher see this? Because we think it's always physical. But insults are eye gouging. And rumors feel like roots ripped out of our scalp. 90% of fights happen underground. And being able to break with words in place of fists is poetic license to kill. Thank you. Thanks guys, um, this will be my last one coming up. Um, so just wanna say thanks for being a great crowd. Um, that clicking was actually really good. Um, and thanks again to Jess and Toby. Um, really, really cool to be hosted by these guys. Poets I really, really, really love um, as it is. So um, thanks. Um, I'm Jasmine Gardosi. Um, if you want, find me on YouTube, Jasmine Gardosi. Facebook is Jasmine Gardosi Poet. Twitter is at Jasmine Gardosi. In real life, I am Jasmine Gardosi. <laughs> you can find me on any of those mediums. Uh, real life, I love as well. Um, please uh, chat if you want. I like making friends. Um, cool. So this next one, its title is Maybe we don't often hear that many same-sex love stories told in the third person because it's hard to tell who's who since they share the same pronouns. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> is munching cereal while staring at her girlfriend across the kitchen table. She would like to tell her that she loves her. She is in the first she, 
Her as in her girlfriend. So she would like to tell her girlfriend that she loves her. She does not know how to tell her girlfriend that she loves her. Not for the first time. Her teeth balance an oat cluster. It is just right. The cereal, that is, not the situation, because you do not tell someone you love them for the first time over breakfast. Mornings are too anticlimactic. Plus, she's about to go out and see people. She is in, her girlfriend is about to go out and see people. She's about to go out and see people too, but that's not what she means. So she is about to go out and see people and would not have the space and time to not feel pressured to say it back. And she doesn't want that. She is in, the first she wouldn't want that, but well, both of them really. So you do not tell someone you love them for the first time over breakfast or when they're too hungry, or when they're too full, or when they're standing up, trust me, that would be really weird, or when they've had an argument and have just made up, because that would almost make it like a consolation thing when it's not, or on Valentine's Day, <laughs> way too cheesy, or on their anniversary, too much pressure already, or on her birthday, or on her birthday, or through the phone, or through a text, or through a song, Jesus Christ, that nearly happened once, didn't it? They were singing together, just for fun, karaoke on a Friday night. She realized her mistake too late when she sang, She takes backflips over sentences in order to avoid the exact combination of words. She'll say other things like, I love spending time with you. I love the way you make me feel. I love that and I love it too. But the world <laughs> keeps throwing the word in her way. It gets awkward say when they share a pack of love hearts. Each pastel is a round of Russian roulette as she unpeels and hands to her. You're cool. <laughs> but then she unpeels and hands to her. Be mine. And all the while, she is praying that I love you or true love or new love doesn't come up because you do not tell someone you love them for the first time through a suite. <laughs> Who knew that you could be dictated by wording so easily? And that's the thing with words. They keep failing her. Like when she introduces her to her acquaintances as her friend. Or when she introduces her to her acquaintances as her friend. And words fail her when they walk through the voltage of strangers' stairs holding hands. And she wants to say something like, yeah, love each other, is there a problem with that? But she doesn't. So she's still munching cereal while staring at her girlfriend across the kitchen table and she'd like to tell her that she loves her. She is in the first she, her is in her girlfriend. Words still fail her. <laughs> Words did not always fail her. She said I love you before to someone else, just that time she feels like maybe she failed the word. And she knows what the problem is here, now. The problem is that she doesn't fully trust her yet. Her 
being herself. She thinks she'd like to get to know her a little better first. Her being herself. And besides, she is busy munching a just right oat cluster. She roots around in her head for another excuse. Are they both hungry? No. Are they too full? No. Are they standing up? No. Uh, have they just had an argument? No. Is it Valentine's Day? No. Uh, is it their anniversary? No. Is it her birthday? No. Is it her birthday? No. But we already know, don't we? That she loves her. She now being the girlfriend and her now being the she. Like the first original she. What I mean is, she obviously loves her back and she knows this. She is in the first she. She knows it because she has never needed an I love you from her. And come to think about it, she, as in the first she, has never needed an I love you from her. And that's what shows her. And that's what shows her. And she knows, therefore, that she loves her. And she knows that she loves her. And she can see that. And she can see that. So she don't need to say it. And she don't need to say it because words don't always hold up, do they? So she don't need to say it. And she don't need to say it. But then she does say it, except she doesn't say it because there's an oak cluster in the way. And it spurts from her mouth as a comet of milk and love and spit. And she sees it. And she sees it land on the varnished wood. And she shrugs. And she shrugs. And they don't bother with words. Because words fail them. Thank you. Please welcome up Billy. I told you I liked sunflowers. I told you I liked their spirit, always reaching towards the light. So when you're 19, 23 seems as far away as the head of a sunflower when you're crouching in the dirt. But I'm 23 now, and I think of you. Little kisses in the dark. The night you told me, you think I saved your life. Sleepy Sunday morning sighs and smiles, and for someone who's supposed to be clever, you are really fucking stupid, aren't you? And ice cream on English beaches, cold hands, warm cheeks, salty lips, the night you told me you should have expected this, the night you told me you are really milking this, the night you told me don't start crying, don't start fucking crying. When you're 19, you're supposed to be growing up, but I was shrinking, getting smaller. Softer, quieter, colorless next to the bright blooms you brought me the next day. You laughed when I told you you were scaring me. But I don't think it's that funny that I'm still frightened now. Or that it took me three years to convince myself I was worthy of standing up here and saying this. Or that I can't wait for the next four to be over because I heard it takes seven years for all your cells to rejuvenate and I am itching to be someone you have never touched. Because I can still feel your tongue in my mouth whenever I call myself stupid. And there's a spot on my right hip that's still shiny and gold from all the times you touched it praying like an idol in a cathedral and a bruise on the other one where the bottle you threw at me landed. You plucked so many petals, trying to decide whether to love me or love me not. But here is the good thing about being a woman. We grow back. We are not flowers. I am 23 and I am made of the earth. I do not orbit around anyone. I told you I love sunflowers. 
I love them fat and brash. Petals unapologetic, as bright as the sun, as yellow as they come. I love them big, buttery, bright, blooming, brilliant, beautiful, and I am blooming now. And I can feel the sun on my face. And I've grown so tall, I can't even see you anymore. Next up, we've got uh, another open mic who is brand new to Find the Right Words. A round of applause, please, for Jamie. This is a work in progress as well. I don't normally do this kind of thing either, but I thought, you know, we'll give it a go, eh? This is called the Bricklayer's Arms. The decor may have changed, but the layout's much the same apart from a tableless floor and a definitively new jukebox. The last time I stepped in was 2007, just in time for Christmas. Back then, my eyes were dazzled by the flashing lights of ambulances and heavy traffic. It's still much the same in that sense, except before I was afraid as opposed to excited. My future looked void and full of remorse. The first call I made was to the boys I was working for, but they were all fucked up on junk by then, whereas I'd had time to wind it in. The king power crown on the fox's shirt now takes up a whole wall pinned to a blue and white flag. But in 2007, you'd never have even imagined that. <laughs> it's mental to think that it's nearly a decade since I left the, those uh, Victorian gates. And don't get me wrong, I've nearly been back a few times. The truth is I'm lucky to be blessed with a strong and resilient mind. But the bricklayers is where my rehabs truly started, by downing pints of freedom followed by a train back home in time for G4S to put a tag on like a dog. If you'd have told me then, I'd be writing this now, I'd have told you to get fucked. But I suppose I ought to give myself a little credit sometimes for how I've turned out. Thank you. I'm going to leave it. Right. We're going to get our speed poet up. It's also this point that I've forgotten all of the themes. But um, so our themes were Putin, Beyonce's having twins, and oh, and Paul Nuttall. Okay, I don't know how you would link Beyonce and Paul Nuttall in a poem, but let's see. A round of applause, please, for Stuart Reid. Um, yes. So Beyonce twins, Vladimir Putin and Paul Nuttall. Fantastic. Um, <laughs> two bouncing baby twins are born. To who? Who knows? Parted at birth, but not all was as it seems. <laughs> Siblings ripped apart like dreams. One in Britain first. The second put in Russia. <laughs> I apologize. Raised apart, but two children of the same heart. Now just, you keep that in mind as our story <laughs> Sorry. You keep that in mind as our story starts to unwind. So the first son, Paul, is all grown up. Months ago, nobody knew his name, but as you eat your morning toast, you'll see Natal spread all over the pages of your paper. <laughs> One of the gauges we use in our life is morality, the distinction between what's right and wrong. For too long, those lines have been blurred. 
April 15th, 1989. A herd of people rush into an already overcrowded pen. What happened then is a part of our history. This is where he stole his story. Sorry, wait a second. I'm, I'm rushing. <laughs> what, what about the other lad? Uh, yes, Vlad. Um, <laughs> good old Vladimir. Well, I'm glad you're here to keep me on track. Um, basically, he's not a good guy who's got his eye on world domination. However, this has led to some frustration. You see, he hasn't really had it all his own way. Taking over the world can be quite hard, but lucky for him, he's got a trump card. <laughs> the leader of the free world. <laughs> the leader of the free world. He's got Donald Trump in his pocket as they aim a rocket at our human rights. So we have Paul and Vladimir. Now, correct me if I'm wrong here, going back to morality, looking at these two, they both fail. Now this is the part where I try and tug at your heartstrings and say we have to start a revolution, fight against this human pollution, but who can lead us? It can't be me. There's only one lady for it, and that is Queen Bee. <laughs> now I can't think of a better person than a strong, black, pregnant woman to abort these two, can you? When life gives you two lemons, listen to Lemonade. Thank you. He had an hour to write that. So um, I uh, first discovered Adele uh, last year through Sophia Walker and I looked her work up online and I was really blown away by it. And then I found out that um, in August at the BBC Slam in Edinburgh, she won it. So, she, uh, so she's brilliant and we're so pleased to have her. So really round a big round of applause please for Adele Hampton. Hi, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, um, I go to the gym to like get out like my frustrations of the day and then I meet my frustrations of my day at the gym and it's just, it's just, it's everywhere, the patriarchy, the misogyny. <laughs> Anyways, um, so yeah, so that's a poem. Um, I'm really bad at talking in between poems, so this awkwardness is gonna continue for the next like 20 minutes. It's gonna be great. Um, here's a poem about my grandmother. I wish I could say baby like my grandmother. Thick thighs in front of the oven, pies the result of working arms I learned how to cook sitting on her lap. My grandmother's soul that traveled where her battered knees couldn't take her, into the freezer, up over stovetop burners, into frying pans and pots she can make water boil without using her legs. So now, the only way I know how to make mashed potatoes and green beans is resting on my backside. Good food meant I wasn't allowed to leave the table until everything was gone. This is how I learned to clean my plate. Liz Hampton smelled like cheap lavender. Not the kind found in pretty bottles and boutique windows meant for the wives of rich husbands. Nah, hers came unmarked, thick and pungent. A heavy lotion and a short round off purple colored case with a silver top screwed on so tight you needed the Lord's hands to loosen the lid. I wonder 
If my father ever found those containers hidden in a clear box underneath her bed, poised for her use that never came one Sunday morning, cluttered with cerulean clips to hide the bald patches and broken pieces of hot combs, the smell of burning still wafting fresh on their teeth, the screams, squirms, and calls upon Jesus to make the pain stop. This is how I learned to be beautiful. Some people say that home is where you lay your hat, but with Miss Liz, it seemed more often than not that hearts should be placed on heads instead because my grandmother's home thumped alongside the beat of God's drum, low and soulful. Her chest pumped holy work songs, her rhythm footsteps as the Almighty pulled trains over faraway tracks to the promised land. This is how I learned to pray at times. I find myself standing in front of the mirror, searching for traits strangers say we share, but it never seemed as if her teeth smile back. So instead, I peek beneath my lungs. Diaphragm rising, I find her there, bearing the weight of my inhale. She promises to never hold my breath and tells me to go on and speak. Child, we have come too far to be quiet. This is how I learned to be loud. Fifth grade is apparently too young to go to funerals, so I never got to see the church reef sway up. They, they lowered her in the ground, and sometimes I sing Amazing Grace in the shower to pretend like I held hands with love and faith family as they opened our throats to saline trees. I don't have the money for brown sugar and sweet potatoes, and Sunday mornings are now reserved for lazy limbs and farmer's markets, but when I walk past lavender bushels, I see project housing and a motorized wheelchair. I see arms strong enough to hold up babies and Bibles and thick legs, too weak to walk into kitchens. I see cooking lessons and a strong jawline. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. So here's the deal. I'm really nervous. And so like I'm talking really fast and like, like fucking up on my poems. So here's a secret. I'm nervous, you're lovely, and we're just gonna keep it going. Okay. <laughs> um, it's interesting. So as you can probably tell from my accent, you don't know whether I'm American or Canadian. Okay. I'm American and I apologize. <laughs> I am so sorry, okay? I didn't vote for him. I'm not even gonna go there. But anyways, so growing up in the States, it's an interesting, interesting world. Um, and I'm biracial, so it's kind of like living in two worlds at once. So my dad's black, my mom's white. Um, and there's like a whole lot of feelings that are in that kind of gray area that that creates. Um, so here's a poem about that. When I was little, I used to think that I was stuck in a dream and that I'd wake up as a white girl. I was dancing in a kitchen that was big enough to hold two steps and swinging hips. When I was little, my mother warned me that my life as a mixed girl would be a hard kind of hustle. With one heel on grandma's prim lawns and blue houses, the other on daddy's street corners where glass blankets the bottom of playground slides. I know it's no one's fault, that I often think of this skin more costume than home, constantly straddling minstrel show and white picket fence perfection for some. The definition of repression is being forced to ignore the casualties of life's havoc to live in a constant and deafening silence as we choke back the struggle. I was raised to be a graceful child. 
So I struck down my vulnerable because no one ever wants to hear about how difficult it is to be different. So suburban bred, I was raised white with a siren snared in the back of my throat like the lump in my throat were the words, I need help. I kept choking on myself, silently tongue-tying my tongue around the bedpost, silently bud-blinding the mon monsters of my two halves, solitude, and the faces I wish looked back at me in the mirror one day. I thought I could teach my veins how to breathe in the air of my childhood bathroom, all the while thinking how fucking pathetic I was to be afraid to erase my own skin, to sever the very thing my ancestors have worked so hard to march into permanence. But what's your response when you're not really black? is laughed in your face by chosen family. When you're forced to sit in stores that don't fit because your breasts and your backbone were too broad for Victoria's Secret, what's your response when your skin is too light not to be afraid of dark hands running through your hair in the locker room after gym class? So, you mixed or something. It's funny how I've always come undone when trying to defend myself trying to present these brown swatches of proof as proof of innocence, but quick comebacks never come out quick enough because I never thought anyone would accept my naked. My voice has become a violent, silent sap, covering up the hurt I've harbored for years of not being able to erase my own skin some days. I think the bravest thing a person can do is speak their own melanin into a mirror. I and the brown daughter to a white mother, and I'm still trying to find the perfect kitchen to dance in, and I hope to God there is more in me than a wanting to be somebody else. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Um, so yeah, um, I have a lot of feelings, as most poets do, and humans. And like those people who are like, I don't have feelings, you're a fucking liar. Um, and that's how I feel about that. Um, so yeah, speaking of feelings, I wrote this poem um, when I was angry. <laughs> Dear Groupon, <laughs> it is eight o'clock in the morning and I'm staring at the subject line of your daily email assault. Lipo body sculpting treatment. Yes. I look over stock art of manicured nails, tape measure wrapped around flat stomach, smooth belly button, mocking in its perfection. You seem to think that, quote, losing weight can help me fit into clothes from my younger days, like the wedding dress my parents put me in in the first day of preschool. End quote, direct quote from the email. Who writes that? <sighs> It is 8.05 in the morning and I'm starting to think that maybe you've just seen the unused gym clothes in the bottom of my bag and are just offering up other options because apparently for only 99 pounds, you'll wrap me, literally swaddle me in a band of treatment pads that'll force my fat cells to relinquish their contents, kind of like when you squeeze an eclair too tight and like all the cream seeps out onto your fingers, except I'm the eclair, yeah. <laughs> It is eight, <laughs> it is 8.15 in the morning and there will never be enough coffee in my bloodstream to prepare me for your ridiculous shenanigans and onslaught of shame so early. Newsflash Groupon preschool is not one of my goal weights. It is 8.15 in the morning and my girlfriend now tells me that I'm beautiful. 
She says her favorite place is where my side meets my hip, says her favorite word is thighs, says she loves this body without the suction. It is 8.20 in the morning and she kisses my stomach, runs her hands over the soft and the flesh, never stopping to recoil or reconsider. And I wish I could believe the sincerity in her touch. I am a size 18 jean. I wear a large or an X large, depending on the store. And yes, I wish it was socially acceptable to hold my boobs while I go down the stairs. And I know that it's not your fault and that I shouldn't feel compelled to write love notes to my muffin tops and underarm flab just because some company offers half price to take half of me away. But you, Groupon, have no idea how long it's even taken me to see that this fat and roll, this loss of self-control and slow-going battle is something worth stroke and worth praise, that this body isn't something to be squeezed in and treated, that this body isn't something I'm stuck with, rather something I am privileged to have. So let's just say, Groupon, that the next time you want to send me an email, make sure it's for something I actually need. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so I'm one of those like really annoying people that's like not really on Twitter and like not really on Facebook and like just kind of a person chilling. Um, but if you want to find me, I'm getting better at the tweeting. Yeah, I know. And um, so yeah, so you can find me. My name's Adele, like the singer, but not blacker, darker. And then um, last name is Hampton. So you can find me on Facebook and Twitter there. Um, I have one more poem. Um, and this poem is, I don't know, it came from a weird prompt, and you'll see why it was weird. Um, but yeah, it's one of my favorites, so I hope you like it. Yeah, you can start the music now. Oh, there it goes, okay. Dear future alien overlords of planet Earth, <laughs> have you ever seen a blue whale? They're ocean giants that can reach up to 100 feet in length, the hearts the size of small cars, and tongues that weigh as much as an elephant. They are so big, you can see them from space. A freckle on the face of this blue planet, my home, now yours. See, ever since I was little, I've had a fascination with things that are bigger than me. The redwoods of California, city skyscrapers, wind turbines, even water towers freak me out. But nothing on the face of this planet has fascinated me more than the enormity of space. Did you know that on our fastest ship, it would take us 50,000 years to reach our nearest star? I wonder, how far are you from home? My house has creaky floorboards and a stained glass skylight that looks up into the attic. It has wooden doors and bread in the oven. It has dance parties during dinner, silent study sessions on Sunday mornings, and living room yoga on Saturday afternoons. That's my house, and now it's yours. Blue whales swim through 63 million miles of ocean, solitarily searching for a soulmate. I wonder, how far are you from your family? My dad and I, we don't really talk. We go to the movies. Our father-daughter dance is a tightrope over two hours of googly-eyed aliens and, and until Earth's future hangs into question until the hero sweeps in at the very end, but I know that a Hollywood ending will be wishful thinking when the real thing goes down, so I often find myself wondering whom I would call in the face of an alien apocalypse. Odds are that caught in the crossfire of your conquest, I'll think of blue eyes 
and the way she called me baby hates me. Just wanted to say that I love you and I'm sorry, our hearts are so far apart. I once drove past the Roswell, New Mexico freeway exit, a ground zero for alien enthusiasts and celestial aficionados in the middle of the desert. Looking back on it now, I didn't know if it didn't pull the car over in order to avoid a giant tourist trap or because I'm afraid of finding something I can't explain. I can't explain why you guys are here. So what do you see worth conquering? Do you see our red blood or our red clay? Do you see my purple and blue veins or the purple and blue stains on my sister's cotton candy lips? Do you see our guns? Do you see our killings and our fragile innocence hanging by a threaded faith in an unshakable sunrise? We, we pajama-clad prey of the cosmos without realizing those stars could actually be somebody else's home. And I can't help but feel and I can't help but find that fact comforting because I can't think of anything more holy than the place someone calls home. Do you pray? I hope you do. I hope you hold poems on the tips of your tongues and have as much faith in a sunrise as we do. I hope you kick through our oceans and are humbled small by the enormity of our sacrifice. You know, they say blue whales are so big you can see them from space. I wonder if that means you can see our hearts too. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Toby and Des, for having me. Okay, bye. Another round of applause for Dale and everyone who's performed this evening.